I think so. I mean, I think there is a way to be a very good and astute expository preacher and to be a terrible pastor in the pulpit. Um, and which is, you know, I'm, I'm an expository preacher and, um, I think that's a, that's an important way of presenting God's word, but you can do it in a way. And I think, I think there has been this uh, cases of this where someone can very much explain revelation really well, um, or Matthew really well, but pastorally, um, be a terrible shepherd. Um, and you know, we're, we're meant to show that Jesus really loves you. Jesus is, has, has really paid for your sins. He's, he's really praying and advocating for you. He's, He's really present with you. He's calling you to really repent because your life's going to be better on the other side of repentance. That's really true. Um, and so, the yeah, I, I, I think people are meant to experience God's love through your expository preaching. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 164. I'm your host, Mike Neglia, and the voice that you just heard is Pastor John Stark. He is the lead pastor at Apostles Church Uptown in New York City. Uh, he also is the author of last year's book, uh, The Possibility of Prayer, Finding Stillness with God in a Restless World. Um, he also has uh, co-authored uh, a book on the Trinity called One God in Three Persons. He also is uh, one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter. He's able to uh, communicate a lot of hope and a lot of gospel in just a few characters. So for all those reasons and more, I was really excited to be able to sit down and speak with him. And guys, I hope you're ready for a heart examination. Uh, John really goes straight to the heart in our conversation. Um, he speaks about um, insecurities and the importance of pastors gaining a sense of self-awareness and also the importance of pastors or preachers or really anybody who is teaching or communicating the Bible, prioritizing uh, love and communicating and showing God's love through our preaching. So this is something that hopefully you'll listen to more than once uh, because there is some valuable, insightful content that John shares in this conversation. Okay, well, after an introduction like that, I just quickly want to get out of the way so that you can hear and learn from John. Well, hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. I'm here with Pastor John Stark. Uh, John, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Is it morning there? I didn't do the math right. Or... It is 11.43 a.m., so you're doing just fine. So glad to share the last few moments of the morning, of the morning with you. Well, it's uh, it's four forty three here, so I'm I'm in Ireland. You're in uh, Manhattan, and uh, we're glad to be speaking. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, so I, I just want to get straight into it. I want to. I'm actually going to read 
one of your tweets to you. <laughs> uh, this is something that you said. You said, I'm a pastor because of John Piper and Beth Moore's talk at Passion One Day 2000 in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, you went on to say that you burned 500 John Piper CDs and you used to listen to them on your Walkman when you were washing windows. Uh so, is that true? You're a pastor because of that one? I am. Um, I, I think I was responding to um, John's daughter, Talitha, who I think is discouraged or was discouraged uh, of some of the feedback his dad had been receiving. Yeah. And it's true. I mean, I, um, I didn't burn 500 CDs. I probably burned 500 sermons on his CDs. Um, but... Uh, yeah, there was a moment. Um, Passion One Day was just like some college uh, event that was um, happening in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, John oh, yeah. Piper. Oh yeah, I, I had the C- I had the yeah. CD. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. So you know, <laughs> we're we're of the same um, age. Yeah. So and actually, my wife was there. We didn't know each other yet, but we were both there. Um, and uh, there was a moment where I. I, I wasn't there for John Piper. And I don't even think I had even heard of John Piper. Um, and some, you know, older gentleman got up and spoke and I almost went up just to go to the t- t-shirt shop, just to look at t-shirts or CDs or something. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not a preacher like John Piper. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's a different kind of pastor preacher than me. But there was this, I think, this moment where the Lord really used both his talk and Beth's talk um, to spur me on towards um, something different, something Mm. uh, more particular um, of giving my life to something um, sacrificially. Um, You know, John's famous talk was was the don't waste your life talk. Yeah. And in a non-legalistic way, it was very compelling to me. and it did. It changed the directory or changed the trajectory of my life. And um, and yeah, I did. I I probably burned 500 sermons uh, on CDs and put them in a Walkman and an actual Walkman. And I wow. I think I had like a stack of CDs <laughs> from other people too. But uh, I remember I I owned my own window washing company at that point, and I would listen to his sermons and other people's sermons while I wash windows. Wow. Well, you know, because usually the the opening question that we ask is, you know, can you tell us about this first sermon that you preached? But but I I wanted to back up a little bit further <laughs> to hear, you know, even about a, a sermon that changed your life or sermons that, that that's that's very exciting. Yeah, that I I lived in California at the time. I didn't make it out to to the event, but like you know, the the hype machine was real, and so you know my my youth group had posters of it, and uh, you know we were all kind of invited, and I got the CD afterwards, and so I, I I listened to to some of the recordings of the musicians that played, and but yeah, you were one of those in the crowd. I was one of them. Uh, I saw like a little bit of a of a. A video of it actually and was there some kind of cross people were coming to to kind of pledge themselves did you do yeah. that did you no. do that no <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't, okay. I, don't rem- I don't remember a whole lot from yeah that. we can't i didn't sleep very well um but uh yeah yeah i we got the dvd and the cds and everything too i think we might still have the dvd somewhere wow wow 
Well, that's 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 pretty cool. And so, yeah, I, I came across you you writing that, and then was was not just nostalgically, you know, thinking, oh wow, that means that we're probably the same age, and but um, but also it's a matter of um, that you listen so much to John Piper, who has a very distinct preaching style, and from from listening to you, you don't sound like him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so he was such a big influence, uh, but not particularly in your, in your homiletics anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, and I still appreciate Piper quite a bit. Um, I can't remember who said it. Um, you know, if you listen to one person only, you sound like a mocker. If you sound, if you listen to two, you're confused, but if you listen to 40, you become wise. Hmm. Um, I think that's kind of true, but I think if you listen to like two or three, um, I, you know, I think listening to preachers is really important for preachers because it sort of helps you. I think as long as you're doing it wisely, it helps you put on like a coat that may not, oh, this doesn't fit. I need to put on something different mm. or I need to trim it or yeah. I need to um, change this up or that, that doesn't sound like me or I need to maybe just put on a different coat. Um, and that's, I think that's been a more helpful imagery because I can't listen to 500 preachers or 40 preachers. Um, but, you know, I did, before I became a pastor in seminary and out, out of seminary, I've had jobs where there was, um, uh, window washing, um, I worked for UPS, I was a janitor, um, I worked in the back of a bookstore, uh, just receiving packages, all those times I could listen to things. And so I would, would listen to different preachers, um, in different traditions and, um, and I think that just really helped me understand what kind of, not just style, but even what kind of like sensibility um, that probably felt more at home with me. Because I'm, I'm not, you know, John Piper and, you know, a lot of those guys in that crew are far more like passionate and energy driven. And I just don't have that same capacity. Um to do that. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it is interesting just to, I think, um, learn how to diversify the voices I was listening to. Yeah. That's, you know, I remember when the, again, we're the same age or, and I remember when the iPod first came out and, and my first thought was you can fit so many sermons in that bad boy. <laughs> Cause I used to have these little kind of like USB, um, MP3 players. You'd plug it into the computer and you could you know, put in six or seven sermons and I'd, I'd listen to those and then have to do it again. And so, yeah, my first iPod was kind of a, a sermon holding device. Um, so maybe a very similar thing where I, I would listen to probably, you know, three or four sermons a day, every day. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, not, not so much anymore, but I think it was valuable to kind of see the stretch you know, well, this person's more apologetically oriented and that's, that's, that's valuable. And this person is really, you know, caring. And so to hear all of those things rather than just, just one voice. Right. right. Well, this, this is all kind of a, a diversion. Sorry. <laughs> the real question is, can you, can you tell us about your first sermon? I just chronologically wanted to start there, but could you bring us to that first sermon of yours? Yeah. It wasn't a great day. Um, I, I remember I was in seminary and a good friend of mine who was an interim pastor in a small church in Indiana, um, he needed a week off. And, um, and so I decided to preach and 
I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive it was based off a seminary paper that I wrote. I, for uh, some reason, that I thought that was a good idea, and I preached well the double whole, up. Yeah, yeah, I preached the whole book of Ephesians, which was just the stupidest thing in the world to try to do. I mean, I I tried to give like one big picture of Ephesians, and the sermon was too long, um, and I. Uh, you know, I think the people were gracious and generous towards me, but the, the biggest thing I remember is about five minutes into my sermon, a really loud snore in the third row was right there. And <laughs> and so, you know, Jenna, my wife, I think had some encouraging things, but she said, you know, when, you know, one of our kids was there and she had to occupy her during that. So she yeah. couldn't give a whole lot of detail feedback. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then afterwards, um, I think one of the elders took us out to lunch and we were just talking he was, you know, they were hiring a new pastor, but he made a point to say, I don't know if I gave off the impression that I was interested in the job, but he gave, he was, um, he wanted to make sure I, I knew that I was not in the running. for the job. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Which is fine. Yeah. And although, even if you weren't, if you didn't want the job, it probably stung a little bit to know that you couldn't have it, even if you didn't want yeah, it. Yeah, no, it was, it did. I, I, I was stung a little bit like, um, uh. well, you didn't need to tell me, but okay. <laughs> uh, so someone fell asleep straight away. Um, did, did they wake up or did they stop snoring? Did they snore all throughout or was it just at the beginning? Do you remember? Sorry to bring you, sorry to dredge up all these painful memories. I just remember it bringing a ton of anxiety um, and just trying to talk loud enough to compete with it. And, you know, it wasn't a huge church, so everyone knew he was snoring um, okay. and he was okay. sitting by himself. In the <laughs> so mm. wasn't, someone wasn't there to nudge him. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so, but the sermon itself, it was an overview of, of Ephesians, you know, which, which that could work. It could work. I've heard, you know, I've heard Mark Dever do an overview of Ephesians and it was great when he did it. Um, so, so, but was yours, it wasn't great. You think, you know, I think, um, it was just a sermon that tried to do too much. And it was a sermon that, um, yeah, it probably felt like a paper. It probably felt like a seminary paper Okay, and, um, probably wasn't very pastoral. Probably wasn't, um, there was a gospel, but it, um, it probably wasn't aimed at the heart too much. So, <laughs> okay. Well, that leads, I guess, quite, quite smoothly into the next question, which is like, how do you think you've grown since then? Mm. Well, hopefully a lot. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I think the, probably the, the biggest way of, of growing is, is just becoming more comfortable with myself um, as a, as a pastor and preacher and, and not trying to be someone who I'm not. Um, and, um, you know, I think when you're just starting off, so I've, I've been the, the every week preacher for about 10, 10 years now. Um, and I think probably even for the first couple of years, you're, you're bringing a lot into the pulpit, just probably emotionally that you probably shouldn't. And, um, and that changes the dynamic of how you preach and what people receive from you. And, um, you know, when you're, when the subtext of 
your sermon is is trying to ensure that people think you're a good preacher, think you know what you're talking about, or you're impressive, or you you read a lot, or whatever. I think that subtext comes through, and and people sense that, even though they might not be able to articulate it. There, there's something that they're getting um, that is something more than just what you're supposed to be giving them. Um, so I think hopefully through you know, good spiritual direction, good mentorship, mm-hmm. even good counseling, um, growing out of some of those weaknesses of, of bringing some insecurities into the pulpit. They'll probably always be there at some level. Um, but, um, but I also think um, trying to get away from always trying to grow technically in my technical skills, whether it's just communication. I, I remember I, so much of it, I felt weak just in my technical skills. And I tried to become better at some sort of communication, some better illustrations or whatever, whatever it may be. And all those things are important, I think, to, to grow in. But I, I do think probably a lot of the hiccups through just how, how are they experiencing me as a person? Um, how are they experiencing um, my love for them? Um, how are they experiencing my presence? Were they experiencing an anxious version of me or a non-anxious version? Um, and so much of it is is growing, I think, in in, in just a, the person who you are in Christ and being comfortable with that. I'm, I'm not, you know, some other pastor down the road who's just amazing and the church is growing by 50% every year and and, you know, I'm trying to, okay, well, that's that's the voice I need to have. Um, no, the Lord's given me a voice and the Lord's given me um, a calling and a certain number of people who he's given me to shepherd and do those people. I'm going to have to give an account to them or I'm going to have to give an account for them. Yeah. Um, do those people experience my love when I, when I preach? And um, hopefully, I think in the last handful of years, um, my people who I preach to every week are experiencing more and more of that. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it really does. Uh, hopefully this is not an impossible to answer question, but like how, how can a person like identify their insecurities? Uh, you said, you said that we all bring things into the pulpit that shouldn't be there. Is it possible for a person to, to know or must you be told or? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think self-awareness is a pretty big deal, um, for a pastor. Um, you know, I, I think it's pretty important for you to realize how other people experience you. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think it's Chuck DeGroat, who's a, um, a therapist and a professor at Western Seminary. He said, yeah. you know, one of the best things a pastor or a leader, a spiritual leader can do is ask some people that he leads, how do you experience my presence? And then believe what they say. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I've done in the last five years is send out an anonymous survey of um, to people who listen to my sermons. And, and ask them pretty honest questions and let them, because it's anonymous and I encourage them, hey, this is anonymous. I'm not going to know who you are. You can say whatever you want. And, you know, it's questions of like, are there weird quirks 
that distract you? Um, do, would you want your lost friends to hear my sermon? Um, and things like that. And just things like, you know, is it too long? Is it too short? Um, you know, I, I'm not going to, they're not going to dictate how I preach, but I'm, I'm at least knowing how they're experiencing my sermons. Um, and there's been some really challenging feedback I've received that, you know, if I'm, um, if, if I'm not secure in who I am in Christ, it's going to be crushing to receive yeah. some of those things. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I, I, and I think actually through that um, practice, and I know you didn't ask this, but through that practice of, of sending that survey out, I've actually learned how, what voices to listen to, what, what are the best ones that's going to both say helpful things. Um, Cause you can start to kind of tell, Oh, this is, good faith criticism. This is bad faith criticism. Um, you just don't like me and that's fine. <laughs> um, but you know, um, you know, I, I've learned it's become, it's become really, really important for me to realize how people experience my presence. Um, and if they're experiencing me as someone who loves them, experiencing some sort of subtext, and then I think apart from that is just having someone regularly in your life, whether it's a counselor or a spiritual director, who's able to speak um, meaningfully into some of those things. Um, whether it's, you know, you're, you're bringing in some desire to be loved and affirmed in a way that you didn't as a, as a child, or um, you're bringing some trauma into the pulpit every week and, you know, you, you might be a victim of something previously, but you're actually victimizing people every Sunday um, through that. And so how, how, you know, growing in self-awareness is, is more and more understanding how people are experiencing your leadership and then believing them when they, when they tell you. Um, so I, mean, I think that's been probably important for me to understand that. Um, and just being more comfortable with who I am. There are people who have criticized some things of my preaching. And I think through the practice of, of receiving ordinary and regular feedback, I've kind of learned to receive some and go, okay, I can change that. And then receive others as you just want a different preacher and that's fine. Um, but that's, that's not going to be me. Hmm. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Some of them, some of that is completely like new, new concepts or new, new ideas. I suppose the idea of the anonymous survey, I would, would never have, have thought of that. <laughs> but yeah, the other stuff like that's, yeah, that really is, is valuable. It's, it's good. You mentioned that you, it, it's taught you to prioritize certain voices, which seems challenging when it is an anonymous survey. Cause you don't know who those are, but I guess it's, it's a certain tone. Is that what you're, what you're, catching and filtering yeah i mean um you know it, it, when someone's asking me to you know i i wish you would have more pop culture references you're just wanting a certain kind of preacher you know yeah. or uh, asking for certain kinds of energy or whatever you know there's at, at some point you kind of learn they're asking for a different preacher yeah but when they say things like um i you know i 
I wouldn't wouldn't bring a friend to listen to your sermons. Um, I, I want to know why. Um, or um, it's hard for me to understand you sometimes. Um, or I can't, you know, sometimes it's too technical. Or I feel intimidated if you give reference to too many like academic or, um, you know, elitist publications. And that's meaningful to hear that. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, so... Yeah, and they're to be commended for their honesty in that. And I'm sure it's not not fun to type out, and obviously not fun for you to read. I wouldn't bring my friends. Um, yeah, that's, no, that, that, that's. I, I don't even. I don't even like saying that. <laughs> yeah, I don't like. But that's a that's a valuable part of self examination. You you mentioned a few different times that you're concerned that the people who hear you preach, uh, you know, your congregation, that they feel loved. Um, like why 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 do you repeat that so much? Why is that so important to you? Um, I was thinking about this actually a few um, weeks ago um, with my elders, and um, we're wanting, I think, to to work more about um, towards being spiritual fathers. Um, that you know, we took the. Um, the picture of the prodigal son story, we, we sort of put ourselves either in the prodigal son or the older brother, we're either, you know, off doing our own thing, forgetting about, you know, Christ's rule in our lives, or we're the older brother and we're legalistic and, and we don't care about the love that we experience from the father. Um, but something that Henri Nouwen does is that he says, you know, the, the place where you actually are called to become is the place of the father who is generous and um, gives his riches away without asking anything in return. Um, who's um, makes space for other people who is looking out. I mean, he was, he was anticipating the son's return. Do you as a other elder, you know, I was talking to my elders, like, do you anticipate the people who are sinning to return with repentance? Or are you cynical? You know, so there's this generosity of the heart, this grace, um, and that's that's where we're called to become, um, not just in the place of um, the younger or older brother. But it, it just demands that there would be so much love, um, and I'm driven by love. I'm I'm shaped by love, and if I'm not, um, in being shaped by lovelessness. Um, or being indifferent to love actually actually changes us. It makes us cynical. Um, it makes us hard-hearted. Um, I don't care how my words land on people. I, I think that's a weakness probably in my tradition that, that, that sometimes articulates, I just need to preach the gospel. Um, and if they don't like it or if, they're, if they hate you for it, then that's persecution or whatever it might be. But really, there's a responsibility. If I'm going to be someone who is meant to be like the Father, right? Jesus says, "Be like, be perfect, as your Father is perfect." I'm I'm called to imitate His character. Um, then I'm I'm actually considering how they're receiving my words. Are they receiving my words as someone who really loves them, who cares that they receive my words with grace and to digest mercy and um. So I want them to to receive me as, as someone who loves them. 
not who's indifferent to what you have to say. Um, um, so that I think that's a part of receiving the gospel is receiving it from someone who loves them. That's not always going to be the case. I know people can be regenerated through an indifferent call to repentance, um, like, um, like Jonah. Um, but Jonah's not a hero. <laughs> yeah. Jonah's, yeah. Jonah's not a preacher to model. Yeah. Um, Jesus who, who mourns over whether someone receives his words or not is the person I'm supposed to model. Um, so, um, yeah, I, does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And even thinking, you know, when Jesus asked that question, who do, who do people say that I am? You know, it's like, well, some say this, some say that, some say that you're like Jeremiah, that you're Jeremiah. Um, but no, what no one says, you kind of remind us of Jonah, you know, even though, you know, <laughs> even though right. on paper, like Jonah was, uh, far more successful than Jeremiah was, right. but, but yet, but yet when people are speculating about the identity of, of Jesus of Nazareth, they say, you kind of remind us like how we imagine Jeremiah to be not like how, yeah. how Jonah is. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And you know, there's, there's. The word prophet is a complicated word uh, to, to throw around um, these days. Um, New covenant era, I mean, not, not 2021, but, uh, but, you know, there is that kind of prophetic call, which, you know, like Ezekiel and others, it's like, well, whether they hear or whether they don't, you know, I just got to discharge it and I'm the watchman. I have to give the, you know, deliver the news and that's it. Yet, Yet the New Testament, the descriptions of the church, the 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 offices of Ephesians four, and you know, while prophet is there, there's like there's like the imagery is like shepherd. The imagery is this pastoral or kind of as you're talking about this fatherly, which actually which actually cares a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there I I can't be governed by what people think of me. Um, I can't be governed on by whether they accept what I say or not. Um, but I can be governed by my love by, and the love of Christ. And I think that's probably more the point is um, my love doesn't allow me to be, be, be indifferent to how people respond. Um, you know, I, I can't be governed by the response, but I can't, I don't think I have the, uh, the permission to be indifferent to it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks for your, your even honesty about that. Some of that sounds kind of yeah, hard, hard to hear, but thanks for, for dredging some of it up, uh, for us. Hopefully it can encourage the, you know, the younger, the newer, uh, pe the people that are at, you know, the equivalent to people that are at passion one day, <laughs> 2000, the ones that are there now that are considering this whole, this whole ministry thing. Well, you know, if I were to send an anonymous, um, survey to my people about, about preaching or pastoring, I'd have a, I'd have a significant portion of my congregation that would say, we want you to preach revelation. We want you to do a series on the end times. And, you know, thus far I haven't, but, but John, you, you are, you're actually preaching through or your, your church is going through revelation right now. How's, how's that going? You know, it's interesting. Um, I was talking with a woman in our church um, and uh, she's, she's a leader and um, we were talking about what, you know, what's coming up because she's a leader of one of our teams and my sermon series impacts 
what she does. And okay. um, I was like, well, we're going to, we're going to talk, we're going to go through revelation. We're going to take it all the way to Easter. And she got very anxious. Um, mm-hmm. but only, and she wasn't the only person who responded this way, mainly because um, this is an anxious time. Yeah. And revelation gives us a lot of anxiety. Um, and, uh, you, you know, she, she wasn't thrilled. She's like, I, can't you shepherd us through like the Psalms or sure. something? And, um, and I totally understand, but I think it, um, she's been at the mercy of how our culture understands revelation rather than the actual ministry of revelation, because revelation is meant to, um, expose our time and to give comfort. You know, I think um, historically, not historically, but maybe modern Christians have read and taught revelation in a way that has brought confusion and anxiety. And revelation actually is meant to bring comfort Mm. and confidence because it's revealing the way the world really is and how God thinks about us. Um, which in the end is, is good news for us. Um, there's a call to be awake, to repent and to, um, to flee from Babylon, whatever that means. Um, but, uh, it's meant to give us a lot of confidence and joy and, and peace rather than anxiety. And so that's been kind of the, the filter through which we've been looking at how is this actually giving us a lot of confidence as Christians? Um, how is it helping us reveal and show us um, the way in which the world truly is, how God thinks about the world? And, you know, one of the main ways I think we do it differently, you know, the mantra we've been saying is, you know, if you want to understand Revelation, don't read the newspaper, read the Old Testament. Okay. Um, that, that doesn't make revelation easier to understand. And actually it might make it harder. Um, but it does take away the sort of anxious, bad news driven reading of revelation. It's more of, Oh, what does, what does Ezekiel say? What does Daniel say? What does, um, Zechariah say? What does Isaiah say? Um, what does Exodus say? That, that's the filter through which John, John has the stories and themes and figures um, filling his imagination when he's writing um, the book of Revelation and he's seeing everything he's seen, not Russia, China, tanks, helicopters, wars. Um, yeah. I, yeah, we're meant to interpret our times, but um, not have the Bible be interpreted by our times. Um so I think that's been helpful, uh, reframing the revelation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a, a certain, yeah, subset of Christianity that just with, with glee and delight, um, goes to, to those types of, of books or that kind of, you know, apocalyptic literature or, or whatever, um, with, with, yeah, like kind of, uh, an unhealthy excitement almost, you know, Oh, isn't this exciting how it's all, it's all coming to pass and maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Um, but I mean, we, we transitioned from you speaking about the importance of, of the, the pastor and the teacher, you know, showing, showing love through, through the preaching. And, and I, I believe like you're doing that through revelation as well. And you think, you think that's probably, in the authorial intent, do you think John 
the author wants wants the love to come through? Mm. Hmm. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there is a way to be a very good and astute expository preacher and to be a terrible pastor in the pulpit. Um, and which is, you know, I'm, I'm an expository preacher and, um, I think that's a, that's an important way of presenting God's word, but you can do it in a way. And I think, I think there has been this cases of this where someone can very much explain revelation really well, um, or Matthew really well, but pastorally, um, be a terrible shepherd. Mm. Um, and you know, we're, we're meant to show that Jesus really loves you. Jesus is, has, has really paid for your sins. He's, he's really praying and advocating for you. He's, He's really present with you. He's calling you to really repent because your life's going to be better on the other side of repentance. That's really true. Mm. Um, and so, the, yeah, I, I, I think people are meant to experience God's love through your expository preaching. So, I mean, I, I think expository preaching is important. It's just not preeminent for me okay. in preaching. Um I mean, I do it every week. I think I, I don't. I, I think if I'm if I'm not doing that, yes. I, I don't think I'm preaching very well. But I think if I'm not communicating God's love to people, or at least getting them to put them in the way of experiencing God's love, yeah, um, I'm probably not doing my job as a pastor mm-hmm. very well. Um, I don't know. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and, and thankfully, like you can do both. And thankfully, you know, this book, you know, like the scriptures is full of God's, of God's love that it's not a matter of, oh, you have to stop journeying through a book in order to find a bit where it talks about God's love. It's, it's there all over the place. So it's not both, it's not either or it's both and. Yeah. Yeah. And that, just I, I, I'm realizing the challenges of, of revelation. It's, it is a complicated, challenging book. And I'm not trying to say it's easy. In fact, you could yeah. talk me yeah. out of it if I think it's easy. I'm sure it's not. It is, it is not easy. Um, but I, I think it is, um, I think it's a, a, ser- a sermon series that has allowed me to say things that I, I maybe, maybe it wouldn't be, um, led to say normally. Okay. Um, about our culture, about our world, about our hearts. Um, and, you know, I think just to go back to something that I, I started to say earlier, um, I think for pastors, for us to get up regularly and say things, communicate using our words, saying things publicly without um, a discerning um, voice of love, I, I just think it actually does things to us. It changes us. It um, it malforms our heart to be doing that. So it's a danger for us not to be regularly communicating in love. Um, and I, you know, I if I was talking to other pastors in a room, I would probably say something like, "Hey, be careful. Um, it's dangerous for you not to be regularly loving your people with your words um, and just speaking truth." is not the same thing as speaking love. Um, 
I think we've we've maybe had it in our minds that well, speaking truth is the most loving thing. That's true, but there's a reason why Paul says speak the truth in love because there's a way to speak the truth with a lot of indifference to love. That I think, you know, we talk about how that damages other people and alienates other people, but I think that actually does things to us. It yeah. shapes us, and um, so I, I I think it's really important for us to to nurture that and form that in our own hearts. I've never heard anyone articulate that before. And like, I, I'm nodding because I, I think I agree, but help me understand why, why is that bad for us to not articulate it? Yeah, I think, you know, um, we are, we are shaped, I think as people, um, primarily through our habits, um, we're shaped by prayer and worship and hmm. fellowship and, and, this, and we're putting ourselves in the way of how the spirit works in those dynamics. Um, so, you know, I, I can't ultimately um, sanctify myself. I can only put myself in the way of the spirit's sanctifying power. Um, I am, I am a Calvinist still. Um, so, but at the same time, um, the things that we do, um, how we spend our money, um, how we spend our free time, um, who we spend time, it does shape us. And I, I do think regularly communicating to people in a, in a way that's indifferent to love, indifferent to how they're receiving it, on how they're being changed. Um, it changes us to being really cynical, hard-hearted, um, transactional people. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I think there's a, you know, when the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins, I, I think a, a lack of love, um, makes room for all kinds of iniquity, um, in our hearts. And so it, it just allows us to be changed towards, um, real, I think really scary places and, you know with spiritual leadership, there's all kinds of, um, dangers for abuses and, um, things like that. And so I, I think love is just a really important thing to nurture as, as you are shepherding God's people. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to be convinced and thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm not trying to be like a, you know, a hard, hard, you know, like, again, that, that sounds right, but thank you for, yeah, un unpacking it for me a, a little bit. Uh, well, you know, in like the last couple of minutes, like I, I got some other questions like I'd love to ask, but like, would you just pray for us instead? Is that, is yeah. that, is that okay? Yeah. Like yeah. I got, I got more questions, but I think the yeah. best use of our time would be if you could just pray for the the hearers that we'd be able to communicate love and, and truth. You know, you, I'm sure you know what to pray. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I will. Um, Father, I, I pray for um, those who are listening um, and for us as we are talking that you would shape us and um, make us to be um, lovers like the Father loves, um, to speak in a way that comes from being loved intimately by Christ. Um, I, I pray that um, those who are communicating God's word, whether it's to their children in Sunday school or on sermons or in small groups um, 
the the I might communicate it out of the fire that's in their own heart. Um, and then they might be means in which others experience an enlivened, vibrant spiritual awakening. Um, Father, we don't want to bring spiritual renewal through human means, through communication skills, through strategies, um, through technology. Um, we we want to bring we want to be vessels and means of spiritual renewal towards others uh, through the means of your spirit, through the resurrecting power of Christ. Um, so we we want to use means that um, complement that, that partner with that, that you delight in using. Um, so humble us, help us to desire your love and to be desiring um, the the receptivity and the loving hearts of others. Um, I just pray for pastors and, and shepherds in, in the UK and, and the United States and elsewhere um, uh, to be safe places for people to repent of sin, um, to fall apart. I pray that pastors would be safe people for people to um, repent of, of where they've been, of to speak truthfully, vulnerably. Um, and I pray that our churches would be places where sinners can come and experience the a, a renewal and vibrancy of the presence of Christ. Um, yeah, we pray for the preaching of your word, that it would go out and it would bear fruit meaningfully, um, that we might see revival in our day. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, amen. Amen. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks, John, for your, your honesty. Thanks for the, the probing questions that I do believe are going to enrich the individual preachers who listen to this podcast and the congregation who listen to the preachers who listen to this podcast. So next Tuesday... There is uh, another episode coming. This one is with uh, Tabidi Anyabile. And the clip that I'm going to leave you with uh, somewhat connects with what John was speaking about. Uh, the importance of preaching, uh, not just as communicating into the air, but it's, it's a connection event between uh, the preacher and his people. So even in an age when uh, many of our churches are still gathering exclusively online, um, the value of connection and expression of care and love is just as, if not more, important now. So I'm going to leave you with a clip of next Tuesday's episode with Pastor Tabidi. And until then, I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's Word. Well, it is tough. I, I think we, in this time, we're all becoming a little bit more Martin Lloyd-Joneses, you know, who, who infamously 
um, kind of didn't want sermons initially recorded and things of that sort, but thought of preaching as an event that happened immediately between preacher and people. And uh, I think we're seeing something of the wisdom of that in, in sort of being estranged by the virus and reduced to the technology that, that the sort of human connection um, has to be more imagined than, mm. than real uh, in the preaching event now. And that's, that's a different kind of work. It's not quite the work that the preacher normally does. Um, but, but we now have to deliver the sermon, and I hope we still are delivering the sermon even to the camera. We have to deliver it um, imagining and trusting um, that there's a connection on the other end that is, that is meaningful and helpful. Thank you.